If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Isaiah. This uh, sermon time is going to be a little different than what we usually do. Rather than an exposition of a particular biblical passage where we're just walking through that passage, seeing what's there and getting out of it what's in there and then trying to apply it to our lives as we see Christ, we'll be touching on today several passages on the same theme as we consider peace at Christmas. So Isaiah 9 is where we're going to start, but we're not walking through everything there. We're going to be actually going a lot of places and hopefully pulling together this major theme in Scripture that we've already been considering. Uh, We already had the reading from Micah 5 at the beginning. We'll be reading that again in a few moments as well. What does it mean for Christ to be our peace? How can we have real peace at Christmas? And so we begin with Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, And to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is what will do what you have promised. You have kept our keeping and certainly will keep your word. And so we ask that in these moments together this morning that we would see you for who you are and we would respond to you the way you would have us respond and that we would experience the peace that you have purchased for us through your son. And so we ask that indeed Christ would be glorified. Spirit, would you come and meet with us now? Help me to say what I should and not what I shouldn't. Help us to see Christ and to know his peace, both now and forever. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea this morning is this. Because of Jesus our King, we have peace with God and one another now and forever. Because of Jesus our King, we have peace with God and one another now and forever. And before we actually get into kind of unpacking that and seeing that throughout the scripture, just want to give a reminder for the kids who are here and who are taking notes today, the underlining on the screen, you see it? The underlining on the screen is especially for you. Okay. Now, of course, if you want to write down the whole thing and you're able to do it, fantastic. That is wonderful. But if you're looking for just kind of the, the key ideas and even sometimes the underlined words will kind of make their own sentence across two lines on there. Okay. So if you write down the underlined words, you'll have the core 
of what we're talking about. And if you can get everything down, that is great. And if there's still something you don't get or a reference you miss, whether you're young or actually not so young and maybe you're taking notes and you go, I I missed something on there, I'm always happy to send you the slide deck. Just let me know. And of course, the main thing in this moment is not actually getting everything written down that's on a screen. That can be helpful and it can be good for us to be able to write things down and look back later and remember the truths that were put forward in the sermon. But the point isn't getting everything written down on paper or however you're taking notes on a tablet or a phone. It's engaging with the God of the universe through his holy word. So whether you take notes or not, great. Let's see Jesus together. And let's worship him. And let's give him the glory that he deserves as we see who he is and what he has accomplished for us. So, how do we have peace at Christmas? As Aaron was leading us earlier in our gathering, he was talking about that same theme. We're kind of, you've picked up on the theme, right? Jesus is the king. And because he is the king, we can have peace with God and with one another, both now and forever. So at Christmas, we especially talk about peace. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But peace, what is it, right? Often for us, the way we experience peace is when everything is going the way that we think it is supposed to go. That is when we feel peace. When life is going according to my plan, I feel at peace, right? Do you find yourself processing peace similarly? But peace, biblical peace, the peace that we're talking about today, is not dependent on our circumstances. It is not dependent on things going the way we think they should. Our life going according to the plan that we have laid out for ourselves. It's not about whether we're feeling poor today or whether we are feeling prosperous. It's not about the presents that you got on Friday, though presents can be great. I've already heard from some of the kids, what was the most exciting thing that you got? I love it when right after the kids say, whatever it was, and the parents are like, yeah, we didn't get that. (laughs) They're not looking forward to experiencing the pain that that present might bring to their ears or to parts of the house depending on how the present is um, utilized. But our peace is not about the presence that we've received. Now I have everything that I need and I'm going to be okay. I have peace. Why do we talk about peace especially now? It's because the prophets talk about the king coming and bringing peace as we've already read. So let's start there. As we think about Because of Jesus, our King, we have peace with God and one another now and forever. Let's begin with King Jesus. Jesus is the King who will reign forever. And this is something that we've sung quite a bit already. We've read some texts that highlight that. But along with it, Jesus' kingship brings peace for his people. It's not just this story of like, he's going to come and knock everybody out and he's going to be in charge. Great for him. 
It's that he will bring peace for his people. He will speak peace to the nations. Think again from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which we just read. Or Micah 5, 2 through 5. Yes, that he's going to be the ruler, right? From Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who's to be ruler in Israel. But what is he going to do? Further down it says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want? To dwell secure. How does that happen? For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. We will dwell secure. Or Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the one that's not fulfilled at Christmas. It's fulfilled when Jesus enters Jerusalem the week before his death. But the text goes on to say, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Why? Because they won't be needed and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those are just three of the Old Testament promises about Jesus and who he will be, that he will rule to the ends of the earth and that his rule will mean peace for his people. And his rule will last forever. When the angel was announcing to Mary that she would have a baby, he says this in Luke 1, verses 30 to 33. It says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now the people of Jesus' time, they're aware of these prophecies. There's going to be a king. He's going to come. He's going to throw off oppressors. That's part of what's going on in each of these contexts. There's battle, there's war. And that's why it's so striking when he says the battle bow is going to be cut off. He's basically saying, you aren't going to need the Department of Defense anymore. Right? And we think about our own nation and how much money goes into defense. And how much is done for that cause and how much money is spent, how many arms are produced, how many ships, planes, whatever. It'd be like Jesus saying, there's no more F-16s. There's no more planes for war. There's no more guns. They're not needed. 
will never need to take someone else's life in battle anymore. We will never need to defend ourselves against invaders from outside anymore. That, that's the essence of these promises. The, the implements for war, you'll break them up. You'll just use them for everyday tasks because that's all there will be. There will be nothing to fear. That's what will happen. And he, the king, he will lead. He will rule. He will be great. And his people will have peace. And so when Jesus came, the people of that time, being aware of these promises about who the Messiah would be and what he would do, they thought that it would be immediately a political peace. And even today, many of us may wish for political peace. There's a little bit of political turmoil you may be aware of or not in our nation today on many different fronts. And it's not entirely wrong to wish for political peace. I mean, Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 to aspire to live quietly and to mind their own affairs, to work with their own hands as he instructed them. He says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's not a bad thing to wish for a world where we can speak the gospel freely and where we don't have to live in fear of outside invaders or fear of even people in our own neighborhood where we can live at peace. That is not bad. That is not wrong. This is still a good goal, but it is not the final goal. It is not the basket we put all our eggs in. It's not where all our hope goes, and it's not where we look for peace. Some of us have lived long enough to know that that, that's not happening, at least not right now. And the thing is, we always think it's it's worse. Um, My wife was reading me a synopsis uh, of an, reading me an article about a book that she's going to be listening to this week. And it's talking about when, when are the good old days. And pretty much the good old days are whenever you reach a certain age, you go back 20 or 30 years to when you were younger and you remember it being good. But those days weren't good for everyone, even the people who are like you. The, the days weren't good. And the days in that time People were unsure what was going on. They were unsure whether this, we were going to make it as a nation. So you think about the 40s and World War II. That's what the, the book that she's going to be going through is about 1942. And what an uncertain time that was. Whether Nazi Germany would triumph. It's like, what, what would it look like? As a lot of people thought the main goal should be just to get them to kind of stop and not to really stop them. And so how would it work? There was a lot of uncertainty. But even in the 50s, and I'm looking around, Walt's not here. There's probably not very many of us who remember the 50s. So uh, uh, for those of you who are new with us or a guest with us, so when Richie says pray for Walt, he's been around since the beginning of our church. He's talking about a church that was founded as a Bible study in 1945 and chartered officially in 1950. And Walt was one of our charter members. So that was 70 years ago. So he's been around a lot and seen it all and been a great blessing to many of us. And he's lived through these days that that we're talking about. In the 50s, maybe we look back to the 50s and go, oh, morals were better and everything was good and the 
you may have heard of the Red Scare uh, and the very real possibility of nuclear war breaking out at any time. That wouldn't be a time that the people who lived in it, like my grandparents who lived through the 50s, they weren't, oh yeah, that was just peace and everything was fine. No, my grandfather was going off to Korea in the early 50s, as were many in those days. And so the point is, we don't want to have nostalgia for days when everything was just right, because those days haven't happened yet. And that's not what we hope for now. It's like, okay, well, if we can do this and this and this and get this person in this position and get these policies going forward, then everything will be fine. Everything will not be fine. If every politician you've ever wanted to be in any position that you've wanted them to be in could be in those positions, the world would still be broken. There would still be sin. There would still be wrong. And we would still long for the ultimate peace that will only come through Christ. Jesus is the king who will reign forever. And his kingship brings peace for his people. But that's the key. Because we tend to think, oh, I want peace and everybody wants peace and we'll just have peace and everything's going to be, be fine. But Jesus' kingship doesn't mean peace for everyone. It means judgment for those who don't belong to him. So what we need first from him, more than just saying, oh yeah, he's the king and that's going to mean peace for me, we need peace with God. And by God's grace and according to his plan, that is exactly what King Jesus does. Is he gives us peace with God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Some key texts for this that we'll go through just really quickly. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and this is Paul's had a long argument about justification, and he'll continue it. But here in Romans 5.1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need peace with God because by nature, from birth, we have been God's enemies. And it's not just that it's, well, uh, nothing you can blame me for. It's just the way that it is. I was born into it. Yes, we were born into it, but then we became active participants in the rebellion against King Jesus. And it's while we were still sinners, Paul will go on to say in this same chapter in Romans 5, that Christ died for us. And that's how God showcased his love for us. It's especially highlighted against the backdrop of our sin and rebellion. Ephesians 2.14 says explicitly what was promised in Micah 5. It said, and he shall be their peace. Ephesians 2.14, speaking of Christ, says, for he himself is our peace. That is who Jesus is. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. That he, by his perfect life, by his sacrificial atoning death on the cross, paid the full price of our sin, taking all the wrath of God 
on him so that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus can be at peace with God both now and forever. So this king isn't just one who comes and says, I'm in charge, out of my way. He's the one who lays down his life for us, for his people. We have peace with God through Jesus. But not only peace with God, we have peace with one another. In fact, we could say peace with God must lead to peace with others. Peace with God must lead with peace to others and, and peace with others. And specifically here, peace with others who also belong to Christ. Some of the key texts here, some of them are commands, and then some of them are like the theological grounding. Romans 14, 19. That's the discussion of meat offered to idols and honoring days or not honoring days and what should we do in the weak and the strong. And he kind of sums it up in a way, Romans 14, 19, Paul does, by saying, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That is what we should pursue in our relationships within the church and in our relationships with others who belong to Christ. But the theological grounding for this comes in Ephesians chapter 2. It's why we mentioned just verse 14 a moment ago. But Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 is the key text on peace with one another through Christ. Now, we're really familiar with like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, right? It's not of work so that no one may boast. And then we might even know what comes next in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the next word is a therefore. It's like based on all of this, that you were dead in your sins, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and that you've been made alive together with Christ and that you're saved by grace and you're saved for these good works. Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's us, Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to in one spirit to the Father. So we who were far off have been brought near, but there were others who were already near, but also needed to be reconciled to God. 
and through Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, who wouldn't have anything to do with each other, and would look down on one another and say, you can't be good enough for God. Through Jesus, we both have access through one Spirit to the Father. As such, we are reconciled not only with God, we are reconciled to one another. That dividing wall was not just a dividing wall between us and God. It was a dividing wall between us and others. And that wall, Jesus himself has broken down. What walls do we put up that Jesus has broken down? When we consider peace at Christmas, it's not just a feeling. It's not just lights. It's not just presence. It's relationships. We have peace with God and with one another. And so later in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul urges them and urges us to have patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says there's one body and one Spirit, just as you recall to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If we are one with God, the one God, and we worship the one true God, we can be one with one another. Jesus, the King, came and laid down his life so that we could be reconciled to God and to one another. This is peace that we can experience now. So it's peace with God, peace with one another, but peace now. When we see these promises, we go, well, they're not here in their fullness yet. And you're not wrong. (laughs) They're not here in their fullness yet. And he already is our peace, right? There's a way in which we will experience it in fullness at the end, but he is already our peace, and God's peace, even now, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is from Philippians chapter 4. Probably one of the main verses we're familiar with there is 4.4. 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. But what happens after that? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So when we think about peace and we think about a future day where everything's just right and we're totally secure, that's true, but we already have the guarantee of it now. Christ has already given his life for us and he has already given his spirit 
to us, to those of us who belong to him by faith. And so we can experience his peace even now. The benediction at the end of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace, that's who he is, him, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now, again, that didn't mean may the Lord make everything go your way. It didn't mean may the Lord make you completely prosperous and everything be just the way that you thought it would. No, this is a letter where he's writing about difficult times that are going to come, confusing times that are going to come, and he wants them to hold fast through them. And as he closes that letter, these openings and closings aren't just throwaways where they're filled up with Christian words. They're filled with meaning. It's now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Peace now is possible because of Christ. But it's not just for now. And it's not the incomplete experience of it that we have now. It is peace forever that Christ has purchased. Reaching back to Micah 5, they shall dwell secure. No alarm systems, no defense systems, all completely unnecessary. And we see this especially in the very end. In Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That day is really coming. And going forward to Revelation 22. There's the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of the street of the city. And the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit which, are, which the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It goes on to say there will be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They'll need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. All those Old Testament promises, they find their culmination right there. And in a way, this is the story of the whole Bible. We were made for paradise, for peace with God, but we lost it all in the fall in Genesis 3. 
And even in Genesis 3, there's this promise that, that's kind of fuzzy at that point, right? He's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. How is that going to happen? What is that going to mean? But that hope had been there. Even to where when Noah was named, Noah means rest because there was hope that perhaps through this one there would be rest. That security that we all crave is not wrong, but often it's wrongly placed. Our security can only be found in Christ alone. We can experience it now, even in the midst of tumultuous days. Whether you mainly see tumultuous days in our nation, or in our state, or our city, or your own life feels like one tumult after another. There can be peace even in the midst of these days because of what Christ has purchased for us. So let us, when we face uncertain circumstances, run back to these promises, these words that we can count on because the zeal of the Lord of hosts has performed this and will perform this. Let us continue to cast ourselves on Christ and experience his peace both now and forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus is the king who gave his life so that we could have peace with you. We who deserve your wrath are called your sons and daughters. Would you amaze us at this grace? And would you help us to love one another as we ought that you would help us to experience as much of your peace in this life as we possibly can because we are people who pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. Would you grant us peace both now and forever through your Son? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.